Just getting myself, yes, got it. Um, so this morning, uh, we're having a half day sitting, which is a lovely time. We started out in the dark together. Very sweet. Watching the light change. Um, so I was thinking about uh, Zazen. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Zazen in a somewhat circuitous, circuitous way. Uh, one of the things that um, I think becomes clear to us as we live and practice, especially in challenging times, um, how's everybody's home doing? Are you all safe? Is everybody safe? Yeah. Good. Good. We're very lucky then. Um, but things happen. Challenging things happen. And uh, we can have all manner of response to life, to our circumstances. Um, so the first things that came to my mind were um, fear, anxiety, anger, resentment, <clears throat> boredom, recklessness, bravado, feeling constrained, defeated, challenged, grateful. I'm sure we can think of many more. And um, they often come uh, in contradictory patterns or together, right? It's not just one thing. And awful, also often we have one or two difficult ones that seem to stick around for a lifetime. Very familiar, very tenacious, very deep. In fact, we, they can be so deep that we, um, we can come to think that we are these things or that they're so inextricably woven into our being that that's essentially who we are. So deep, so tenacious. We feel that they'll never go away and likely they won't, which is something we don't like to hear. So what do we do? What do we do then? One thing uh, we do is to take refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So in the Buddha, the truth or the basis of our life, awakening, the Dharma, the teachings that guide us in this life, and the Sangha, the community in our practice life, our friends and family, and the wider world. Um, later on this morning after the Dharma talk, we're going to have the Bodhisattva ceremony and we will do this together. Everyone is welcome to join us either on Zoom or in person. And we, it's lovely. So another thing that we can do is to sit Zazen, to make a commitment to do it. If you do, you will for sure, as most of us know, run right up against every resistance, every aspect of your mind. You might think, I don't have time. I don't have time to sit Sazen. 
even though it only takes a moment. I can't sit cross-legged. You don't need to. My mind is too busy. So um, guess what? So is everyone else's. That's part of the point. We don't need to do anything in particular to sit zazen. It is absolutely wonderful and supportive and engaging and beautiful to come together as a community and sit together. It is um, just like a, a pillar of strength for all of us. Zazen is a refuge in the deepest sense. It is becoming familiar with resting or flailing in something that's deeper and stronger than anything we can come up with. So yes, I am like, you know, out there banging the drum, let's come together and sit together. But you know what? You can do Zazen anywhere. You don't need to be in the sendo. You don't need to have special clothes on. You don't, you don't need to have anything. All you need is a moment to remember. And then we see what's there. Then we see the mess oftentimes that's there. So there's a, a favorite story told about Suzuki Roshi. You may have heard it before. Uh, near the end of a seven day sashin, which is seven days of intensive sitting. It is said that he said, the problems you have now, long pause. You will always have. <laughs> the people that tell this story, the people that were there for this story, say that during that pause, they thought, um, he would say something like, your problems will go away if you sit enough, um, you will be released. Something, something besides what he actually said. So if that's true, then we can say, what, what is the promise of Buddhist practice? If that's true, what are we doing here? If we're not going to get rid of ourselves or these vexing problems, why practice? Why sit sazen? Why even stop and do it for a few breaths in the middle of your busy day? That's a very good question. And the answer to that question is found in the practice itself. For in the practice, we find a new way, a way we can't see by sitting on the sidelines and trying to come up with what we think it will be. For sure, I can tell you, it's not a, like a jump into seamless serenity and ease. It is challenging. Zazen is challenging. But the challenge is a path that is worthy of our lives. It is life-giving. We run up against these questions immediately. Who is this restless, cranky person? Mm -hmm is as far from serene as possible. Is this practice for me? Me, the failure? The one who can't sit still 
the one who hurts and gets angry and thinks and thinks and thinks and thinks and thinks and thinks and thinks. And if we find that we are willing to keep going despite our doubts and worries, and I hope that you will come to talk to Shinchu and I about any doubts or worries you have. More questions come. How do the teachings guide me to develop an understanding and a practice that is liberating? What does that even mean? I want, all I want is to feel less at sea, right? And then there's more questions. What is this life about anyway? How do I live with others in a way that is wholesome and recognizes the reality of the suffering? Where am I able to find courage and humor and goodness? Who feels all these things? Who wants these things? Who am I after all? As we go along, we find that the teachings do not give us easy answers. They bring us deeper and deeper and deeper and allow us to find the promise of a life that has meaning and goodness as we ask them. You know, practice does help us manage our responses to difficulties. We likely over the years will develop a little more patience, a little more spaciousness. But more than that, they point us to a way of practicing with them that transforms us, transforms our lives and our relationships in our society. Usually when we start this journey or repeatedly along the way, we do start with the idea or the hope that Zen practice will help us eliminate these difficulties. This is natural. You know, it's painful, it's difficult. And we say, you know, really, just give me an answer. But when we actually do this practice, we discover this new way. So we respect our desires and we stay curious. We might think the self is going to eliminate it. This is kind of a popular idea. People here know self and they think, well, I'll just get rid of the whole kit and caboodle somehow and something else will happen. And as I say, well, good luck with that. Um, but it, it's all of this is based in a desire to ease our suffering. The problem is trying to get rid of the self takes you on a wild goose chase that's very long and fruitless. All of the responses to our life, all of the responses that we find in ourselves as we face our reality are a part of our reality. And they can either be something that we see as an obstacle or a gateway, a gateway as we grow together with others. We can face a bone deep, hot, hot, hot anger, a gnawing pain and grief, a craving, craving for something that dominates our mind and heart, a fear that drives us away from connection and disrupts what little peace we find. 
a deep desire to just avoid it all and go to sleep. Or perhaps it's just a sense of pettiness, irritability, restlessness. It doesn't matter. This is what we have. This is what we work with. Each one of them is a precious Dharma gate that opens us to life. We make this life by joining with others who are in the same boat, the Buddha boat, you know? The self with all these difficulties as well as its gifts is a fact, not an obstacle. What you do with that fact is up to you. It's an interesting conundrum. The you that you experience yourself to be is both filled with difficulties and challenges and the vehicle and avenue to seeing clearly and with an open heart. In other words, being awake. The teaching and the practice are a way of transforming our lives, a way of realizing who we think we are is very limited indeed. But lucky for us, that's just an idea. It's just another idea. It's not the reality, no matter how much we think it is. So we are presented with another question. How do I grow my perspective grounded in the teachings and practice it day by day? Ultimately, in a way we can't predict it. If we follow the path, and we ask these questions, the path will free us from our habits and limited views, not by ridding ourselves of them, but by locating our being in something deeper and wider and more profound than the self. That in turn impacts us, how we experience our lives with others, and we see the worth of our lives in a new way. This is really important. It's important for us to know the worth of our own lives. Dogen's, um, in Dogen's fascicle, Yakudo Yojinshu, Guidelines for Studying the Way, he begins it by saying, the thought of enlightenment has many names, but they all refer to one and the same mind. The thought of enlightenment is our yearning for liberation, our orientation. So the thought of enlightenment has many names, but all refer to one and the same mind. He goes on to say, Ancestor Nagarjuna said, the mind that fully sees into the uncertain world of birth and death is called the thought of enlightenment. The mind that fully sees into the uncertain world of birth and death is called the thought of enlightenment. That mind is the mind that's drawn to practice. That mind is the mind that asks these questions. Dogen continues, thus, if we maintain this mind, this mind can become the thought of enlightenment. If we maintain this, if we maintain the mind that sees into the uncertain world of birth and death, that sees all the particularities of our minds, of our limited self. 
that sees clearly others in our lives. These are the eyes of Kenan, the Bodhisattva of compassion, the eyes of Buddha, the eyes of wisdom, clarity, heartfulness, solidity. We don't need to be someone else for this to be true. We just recall ourselves again and again and again to our intention to maintain this mind. How do we do that? Through the effort of recollection, coming back again and again. That coming back is the mind of enlightenment. The thought of enlightenment, this mind of enlightenment, bodhicitta it's called, is the aspiration, the orientation, the commitment and the source of our practice lives. It is desire to wake up in our life, not just to alleviate our own suffering, but the suffering of others. To be in this world with others. It is a wisdom that sees our life as shared, even as we have our own particularity. The mind and the heart that fully sees into the uncertain world of birth and death, the uncertain, ever-changing, interdependent world that is our world, is the mind and heart that knows who we are with all our difficulties most deeply, and what reality is. And with this, we can live fully with others, even people who scare us, people who irritate us, everyone and everything in all our activities. And the responses that we have are wake-up calls. Pay attention, look deeper, recall yourself back to the ground of your being. This is fearlessness. If we maintain this mind and heart, as we work to maintain this mind and heart, if we return over and over, if we have the courage to see clearly and know fully this world, our mind, our lives, we live the practice of it day by day. And this, as shaky as it can seem, is an unshakable foundation. It doesn't mean that we will be seamlessly calm and serene. We struggle, we get tired, we get cranky, we weep. We laugh and love, we are afraid, we are angry. This is the world that we live in. The key is we get up. We use our lives to return to stability and deep intimacy with all being. This is our way. And there is joy and peace in it as well as difficulty and challenge. We respect life. We walk and act with dignity and generosity. We fall down, we get up, we learn. Simple, courageous, humble, straightforward, intimate. As we engage in this way, we can see that when we are lost, we can return. We remember that we used the ground to get up from the ground and that the wisdom and compassion of the Buddhas are always present. When we sit zazen, this becomes very apparent. Dogen Senji teaches us to learn the backward step 
and turn the light inward and illuminate the cell. To turn the light inward, echo hencho in Japanese, is the basis for our practice. We see the details of the self paraded before our minds in Zazen are coming forward as habitual tendencies with others. We see the content of our thoughts and the emotions that color our moment by moment experience and impact our days. We see it all. We are propelled by this sometimes. It can be visceral. And sitting with all of this can be very challenging. But we do not aim to squash anything. In the life of awareness, all of who we are can come forward and form the basis of connection with others. So we see the content, we see the process of thoughts and emotions arising, coming and going, passing away. We see that we tend to identify with the content, but also with ourselves as producers, my thoughts, my emotions. Who would we be if we didn't identify with these things? Sometimes we catch glimpses of something that is more difficult to speak of. We hear the silence that is there, a rich silence. Also a silence that can toss us into an uncomfortableness with spaciousness. We wanna be, sometimes when that arises, we wanna be someone, anyone, just like, just want to. Sometimes we see luminosity that lays behind, between, and enfolds our thoughts and emotions. But even saying it, we see it, it makes a difference between us and this luminosity or this silence. There isn't such a separation. So we are left in the realm of struggling with speech and reality, something that Randy spoke of last week. When we practice turning the light inward, we have the opportunity to see all of this, all that I've been talking about, and let go of what we conceive of. This is what I want us to do when we practice together, especially during times like today when we have a little time to stop. Take this up, wrestle with it. See what cannot be seen. Hear what is abundantly clear and the sound of a bird or of an engine's darting or the grumbling of your stomach. When you get up from sitting, go about your day. Take the time to see the person before you. Consider their reality, your shared reality, then sit again. Do what you can in this realm. Don't set up oppressive standards. Don't be careless with your life. Settle, find your commitment, your courage, and your care, and do it. <laughs>